0: Welcome to Ancient Answers, a program that discusses modern issues by looking to the ancient civilizations that came before us for knowledge and wisdom. My name is Shane Kingsbury. And I'm Gordon. And today, we are going to be discussing the cities of Alexander the Great. Yeah,
1: a lot of people are not aware that during his conquest into what we would call the Persian Empire, which consists of places like uh, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan... Pakistan Mm -hmm. and those areas like there, uh, that, uh, you know, that was an enormous empire. And then, unfortunately, when Alexander the Great died so young, Mm -hmm. uh, four of his generals split up this empire with Seleucid, one of his generals, taking a very large geographical area that would now consist of basically um,
0: Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. So big, big area. Yeah. Well, and, and just for, for general context, I mean, Alexander ruled from Greece all the way to India, essentially. That's right. So that's, if you look at that, you know, pull up Google Maps and take a look at that swath of territory, considering that that was in the 4th century BCE, that is a massive amount of land. As, as far as I know, the only empires that were larger than his were Genghis Khan's and the British Empire. That would be correct, according yeah. to the way we would measure, uh, you know, land uh, surface area. Um mm-hmm.
1: uh, the influence went much farther yes yeah absolutely uh, we're not going not to jump ahead i'll come back to this later on mm-hmm. the influence of trade is the initial stages of what eventually became the silk road
0: yeah
1: a topic we will tackle uh, sometime in the future yes absolutely uh, you know this connection between china and the west uh, for trading uh, but yeah the very first steps of those trade uh, occurred at this time and one of the things the greeks brought along with them and we will also talk in another topic is currency, Yep. actual metal currency, money mm-hmm. uh, that allowed trade to facilitate back and forth between different cultures that had different valuations mm-hmm. of their labor and products and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when Alexander was roaming around, and he lived so shortly, he died at age thirty-five. Yeah, uh, you know, he effectively only really had uh, a military career of 15 years, but I want to also... He he was 20 years old when he took over as King Macedon, I believe. That's right, Yeah, that's right. However, Alexander did more than just conquer, and this is one of the reasons why people call him the Great, Mm -hmm. because one of the things that he emphasized during his, really a conquest of a, a rotting Persian Empire, I mean, the Persian Empire had gone through some internal conflicts and civil war, the previous 30 years. So they were kind of ripe for a pushover. Yeah. Uh, and the Greeks came along with their military superiority. They were well organized and, and determined i there's got to give them a credit for that. <laughs> yeah. However, one of the things that Alexander ordered as his army traveled around was the establishment of cities. Mm-hmm. These would be Greek oriented settlements. So he was bringing in Hellenistic thought and ideas into an area that was entirely foreign to that influence and a remarkable legacy behind. Uh, He brought in a uniform of weights and measures. Mm -hmm. The Greek language was introduced as a lingua franca. Uh, There is, you know, scholars have estimated that in the area basically between Greece and India, south of Russia, that area had probably 40 different languages spoken. I didn't realize it was that many. Yeah, <laughs> tribal languages. You had uh, steppe people as well yeah. that would speak their own languages. Uh, I, interesting enough, the steppe people at the time, sort of in North Afghanistan and a bit northern into the Sezmetkistan and Kurdistan, those areas that are currently now, Um, was uh, in Indo-European languages. Oh, okay. So they are related to many of the European languages uh, of the world. That exist today, yeah. That's right. Greek is one of them. It's a unique subgroup of Indo-European languages. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there's no other language that relates to it exactly, but the idea of the way languages that human beings spoken were also influenced by this cultural contact.
0: Okay.
1: So in terms of cities... It's quite remarkable. I'm going to name a few cities. Of course, the number one city that Alexander founded was... Alexandria.
0: Alexandria in Egypt. But there was Alexandria and Alexandria. There was also Alexandria and Alexandria and, and Alexandria. Alexandria. What he did
1: is he named every city with this first name, Alexandria, a feminine version of his name, yeah. and then the last name. So, Alexandria Caucasus, Alexander uh, Aphronite, Alexander Tarsia. So, we have these names of cities all over what is now Pakistan and Afghanistan basically, that are names. So, what is interesting is I'm going to read some of the names, what they used to be. Uh, There's a great list uh, online on Wikipedia, actually, of all places. Uh, Like, what isn't on Wikipedia? Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Wikipedia is not great as a scholarly resource if you're doing research for like a university paper or whatnot. If you're you're looking to just get a thorough understanding of a topic, it's it's not a bad place to go. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to read a few of these uh, cities off and
1: see whether some people recognize them. Yeah, we mentioned Alexandria, Egypt. Yeah. Absolutely. At one point, it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire in terms of population. Mm -hmm. And it still is a beautiful city to this day. Yeah. you know, we missed the, some of the great uh, constructions, mm-hmm. but uh, here is here are some ones other ones that they Alexander Aranea. Okay, now this is in now Afghanistan. It is actually the city of Herlet or Herat Afghanistan. Now this is no small city. This is a city today yeah. of half a million people. So it's got a legacy that its actual founding was founded by Alexander, who was riding through with his army and mm-hmm. decided to stop there. Recognize, and this is important, especially with the next cities we talk about. It was on a river access, mm-hmm. so water kind of important when you're in a semi-desert area, <laughs> just a bit, uh, and also did have agriculture and some soil deposits, okay. so agriculture could be pursued. Yeah, uh, okay. but it turned out to also be a trading area, mm-hmm. like right along the route of the Silk Road that would come later on. Okay. So it made its money due to commerce. Yeah. Very, very much so. Okay. uh, There's another city called Alexandria Arachantia. I hope I pronounced it right. It's Greek. Uh, (laughs) Well, that is
0: Kandahar. Okay. We have definitely heard of Kandahar. We have
1: definitely heard of Kandahar, (laughs) a major city in Afghanistan. Again, a city strategically positioned on... um, some some soil deposits mm-hmm. left behind by, uh, you know, glacier activities and stuff like that, and a couple of good rivers that come through and join yeah. up there.
0: Well, and, and you would expect that, um, uh, I mean, nowadays as well, but especially in ancient times where if you're going to establish a city, there has to be a reason. I mean, you can't just drop a city in the middle of nowhere for absolutely no reason, right? So That's especially right. when you're in a desert, being on a river is very important, and there needs to be some kind of reason for its existence not just the river but if you've got agricultural area okay you can produce food that can be used in commerce as well as sustaining the population Uh, conversely there could be mines nearby if you've got deposits of minerals well okay perfect you can mine that and again you can use that in commerce you can use that practically so these are the kinds of things they'd be looking for when they were founding cities Um, although my understanding is that a lot of these places because some of the lists I've seen list a minimum of 25 different places, but some will go as high as 70 different places that Alexander and his armies uh, founded. But a lot of them, it seems, were just sort of uh, like temporary military installations. Yeah, they were base camps with. Uh with uh, hopeful
1: ambitions that they would evolve into mm-hmm. a city or town yeah. but they ended up just being a camp that survived for a little while and then disappeared. Yeah,
0: but so even if you go to the extreme end of it and take like, okay, there were 70 cities but there's 25 of them that still exist in some form or another or at least have yeah. rich histories over the course of their lives, it's it's still a pretty impressive list when you look at it that way. Yeah,
1: I mean, term is, Uzbekistan is a city that was founded by uh, Alexander. The challenge is According to the historical record, we're not sure which one it was on the original name. Okay. There's six contenders that might be in the area, but it today celebrates Alexander and an annual festival as its founder. Oh, that's pretty cool. So that's kind of cool. Now, the city itself has about 35,000 people, so it's not super huge, Mm -hmm. but it has been continuously occupied since Alexander's time, yeah, so twenty three hundred years, yeah, that's a, that's sort of remarkable. Yeah, that's no no small feat there. Now another city, and I happened to mention just previously before was Alexandria on the Cacus, or Alexandria Kokakia. Kokakia, is That's how you pronounce it. Okay, that's not my best Greek, but there we go. <laughs> I mention it because it was Bagram. Where the U.S. had their military base and still have for the last few months in Afghanistan. Oh, okay, yeah. Why do I know that name? And and, Mm. uh, Bagram is uh, is a city that has continuously been inhabited right since Alexander's time. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it has some excellent uh, local source water and a few other amenities that gave it sense. But it also became
0: a major stopping point during the Silk Road, later on, during the medieval time. Okay. Uh, these I, guess, I get the impression a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today is is going to be precursors to later episodes, because we've mentioned the Silk Road a few times already, which we're going to focus yeah, on exclusively later on. Yeah, there's Alexandra Opanania, and that is
1: actually Ghazi, oh,
0: okay. yep. which
1: is in Afghanistan. Now, it's a smaller city. But it is also a holy city, mm-hmm. a city that evolved. Uh, it has a particularly unique designed mosque, to, so for Muslims it is a special place. Uh, but it is we know it has been an uninterruptedly uh, yeah. inhabited since Alexander the Great's day. Jeez! Now there's one interesting city uh, that has a little bit sadder story. Okay, it's Alexandria in Mar. Girana. Margiana? Margiana? Margiana. Oh, okay. Now, this city survived, but somewhere around the year 880 AD, mm-hmm. it changed its name after uh, Muslim conquest to Merv. Oh, okay. M-E-R-V is oh. how we would spell it. Oh, yeah. I think oh, I've yeah. Heard, I've heard of this one. We know about this one. Yes. Now, this... What happened to Merv did not really take place in what we would call the traditional ancient time. It's,
0: it's a little outside the scope of what we usually look at. It but I will show. cover
1: it because it was at its peak around the year 1220 A.D., mm-hmm. 400,000 people. In the middle of what we would consider not the most agriculturally productive area in the world. Yeah. So how do you s- sustain a population of 400,000? In essentially a desert. In essentially a desert. Yeah. And it, uh, they, it's in Trishmakistan today, uh, but there's absolutely nothing there, just ruins. And that's because after Genghis Khan surrounded them, they surrendered nicely, and he went on his way and said, okay, I'll be nice and spare you, and went on to conquer more cities. But then Merv decided, for whatever reason, it's still a little murky in history, that they were going to revolt and go
0: against Genghis Khan's back. Yeah, which I mean, his history teaches us that um, he he was pretty thorough, uh, to put it politely. But if if you surrendered and paid tribute, he was fine with that, and he would treat you accordingly. However, he really didn't take well to being double-crossed, and partly it can be explained that. His the largest army that
1: he ever had was maybe 100,000 men. Mm-hmm. And he had to cover an area that was nearly 7,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, he could never tolerate I'm not justifying what he did. No, of course not. Because we haven't told you what he did yet. <laughs> uh, but I think you can guess. You but. can guess. Uh, <laughs> but when they revolted and they, in a sense, betrayed him, he brought his army all the way back. He actually stopped a campaign, mm-hmm. came back to them, laid siege, knocked the city over in three weeks and killed every single inhabitant. Men, women, and children. In fact, his men took seven days hacking off the heads of the inhabitants of Merv. And then he brought a group of Chinese, mostly Chinese, engineers, and they, this is traveling 5,000 kilometers (laughs) from China, brought them in and had them dismantle every brick, every wall Everything you could imagine. This
0: was as thorough as the Romans took apart Carthage Yeah. earlier. Well, and and I might be mistaking this for a different city, but if I remember correctly, after the city of Merv was actually dismantled, they diverted a river to run that through is, the area where the city once stood so it could never be rebuilt. That is actually true. Okay, is that? That okay. is actually true. I wasn't Merv. sure if it was Merv it, or a different one. They then. actually did it to... Two cities, and I can't remember
1: the name of the city. As the other one was a smaller one. Yeah. Uh, So, in a sense, Genghis Khan made an example. But up until the point of its destruction, Mm -hmm. it would have been in the top five cities of the world. Oh wow! Well, four hundred thousand people. Yeah, four hundred thousand. At the time, was big, big. Uh, I mean, this is the late medieval period of Europe. Europe is just you know pulling itself out of some you know civilization collapsed in some ways. Yeah. Uh, although the Dark Ages and the Medieval Ages in Europe sometimes get a bad riff. Uh, the fact is, it was this part of the world that was economically the most prosperous. Mm-hmm. I mean, these cities that Alexander founded were in direct contact with Baghdad, yeah. which had become now the de facto capital sort of of the Western world or Eastern Western world. We don't count China because China was still kind of in its own and on its own. Yeah. But these cities, and you can go online and type in Alexander's cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for you know maps on Google, or there are uh, Wikipedia actually a Wikipedia chapter that's quite neat. Take a look and just get a feel for the, wow, there's a, a lot of cities that were founded by mm-hmm. Alexander the Great during his short fifteen year military career, yeah. uh, and also one of the things that was unique was he had many of his soldiers kind of ordered them, kind of encouraged them as well, to marry yep. women of the area so that there would be a mixing of the cultures into sort of
0: a Hellenistic Utopia. Well, and that was a big criticism of his after he um, during the conquest of Persia and after taking over Babylon was that he actually really got into the Persian culture and he adopted a lot of Persian dress, for example, and he enjoyed the the decor and the art and the architecture. Um, and some of his some of his officers and his some history records that he was looked at as being a little less Hellenistic than they would have liked. But there is a reason
1: that that would be the case. Okay, his soldiers were Macedonians. Yes, they weren't really identifying themselves as Greek, even mm-hmm. though they spoke a dialect of Greece. Yeah, Greek. He had this sort of when. There's been surmised that when he got to Persia, and he visited, you know, Parthof, um, Persopolis Okay, and in the great city like Susa and other cities that the Persians had built. I think he realized, holy macros, we're in a different league than these guys. Yeah. these Persians are way ahead of us, because they had roads. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had the Royal Road built by then. They had very distinctively advanced aqueduct and and water. Uh, yeah,
0: their their, en- their, enge- systems their engineering the and architecture was far ahead of anything that he had seen before.
1: Yeah, I mean the Greeks did have the Pantheon and they did have yeah. Athens and did the stuff, but. To, to him, it would have appeared that they were in a different league. Yeah. The fact they were able to conquer the Persians and sort of take over their kingdom was was a real bonus. Mm-hmm. I mean, his ambition was to go on to the Indian uh, empires that were existing in India. Historically, that would have been a tough go because at that time, the upper Indus River, although he did conquer for a, period, a brief period of time some of that, you know, later on that was abandoned. Mm-hmm. It didn't last for very long because the Indian empires were also physically quite strong and militarily quite competent. Yeah. It's part of our history that is not spoken to a lot is how much did India have an influence. In the end, it would be a major influence in between the West and China mm-hmm. in terms of trade. Yeah, uh, And the Silk Road and stuff like that. But uh, India t- took on the road of the Maritime Route where people would, dis- would embark on ships in the lower Persian Gulf area go round the curve of India mm-hmm. and arrive on the shores of China as trading and that was well established by the year 400 AD. Okay. Uh, so and we'll touch upon later on in episodes when the silk road is talked about because that is paramount but mm-hmm. the Hellenization of this part of the world what they call Bactria was the kind of the general person purpose name of Afghanistan sort of and, and North uh, Pakistan area? Uh, it made a huge difference because suddenly there was this opportunity for trade mm-hmm. with the peoples living in that area, that central area, being the go betweens. Yep.
0: Well, and it also helped that um, as Alexander the Great moved through these areas and his armies conquered and he he forced and encouraged this cultural mixing. It really did help that after he after he passed away and his empire was divided up into different sections by his generals, um, it actually sort of helped that mixing go even further because there was such hev- there was such heavy Hellenistic influence throughout such a wide area. Now, people could, you know, if they traveled through, there was it was a little less daunting because there were uh, there was common language that they all understood that they could speak. That's right. Um, for quite was, a while, yeah, there was common writing and. And the influence of this really can't be overstated because, um, I mean, there's the, the Bactrian kingdoms that we're talking about right now, but I would argue that everyone listening to this podcast has heard of the Ptolemaic dynasty yeah, in some form or another. And if the name Ptolemy doesn't mean anything to you, the name Cleopatra absolutely does. That's right. So the Ptolemaic dynasty was another offshoot of Alexander's army. That was the Egyptian portion of it that was... Um, taken over by the general Ptolemy, who would name himself Satrap of Egypt, so governor essentially, go on to name himself as Pharaoh, um, and he began the Ptolemaic dynasty, which ended with the death of Cleopatra. So, you know, Cleopatra, Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, that's a relatively well-known story that I'm not going to jump into right now. They made a but, few movies out oh Yeah, man. just just a couple. <laughs> um, but again, that all began with the conquest of Alexander the Great, and, and it helped spread... Hellenism throughout the Mediterranean. I mean, Egypt was so profoundly important to that time period with the, the Library of Alexandria. the It was the cultural center of the Mediterranean for such a long time.
1: Well, recent uh, historians have estimated that Cleopatra during her lifetime was the wealthiest person that we are aware of, wealthiest single person. Now, there are some arguments that at the same time in the han dynasty in china the emperor would be equivalent but the way you measure wealth is a little bit different and therefore problematic but in terms of probably material um i mean one of the things and we will talk about this as mentioned in another episode about the the history of money is the greeks were the ones that dispersed the idea of currency, mm-hmm. a common way to buy and sell products, using in this case little round discs of metal. Yep. Uh, that idea was revolutionary, mm-hmm. as well as of course the idea of a written language. Mm-hmm. The Greeks were one of the first languages that was written down. It it had a you know it had initials phase in the Mycenaean period, and then it died away, and then it resurged. But the ability for a written language. Because there are Greek inscriptions that have been found as far east as the East actually the, the western part of China today, yeah. Yeah. what they call the Shungji area. And it's phenomenal to think that that influence, although it was it's sporadic, it's not you know culture cultural like it would be to the edge of the Himalayans. Yeah. But the fact that it would be continue on, there would be bits and pieces and coins, coins found in what is now China, mm-hmm. uh, that are of ancient Greek ancestry, shows the fact that this vision... We always, as historians, always wonder... Two things. If the Library of Alexander had survived... Oh. We won't go in there right now, because oh, I'm still yeah, hurting yeah, I don't, don't want to cry. <laughs> but if Alexander had lived longer, and his military career had wound down, and he had just focused on maybe establishing the culture... Where history would have gone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where history would have gone, it would be so different because the communication with the East, i.e. China, would have occurred faster,
0: yep. much sooner in history, and who knows? It is yep. an
1: interesting speculation.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, we, we've talked often in this podcast about how we have, we, we focus so much on Greco-Roman history because that is A, where both of our backgrounds lie, but also just the, the rich historical record that we have from those... Civilizations, or from the Mediterranean area, um, but the the Hellenism and the Hellenistic spread of culture and influence by Alexander the Great is a large part of that reason. I mean, it's the the ramifications of that conquest, and not just military ramifications, but cultural, uh, economic, literary, philosophical. To not be afraid of learning from others. Yeah, and that's the thing. Because that's a legacy. Yeah, he he learned a lot of these stuff, these things from the different cultures that he. Uh, conquered, essentially. Uh, but we're we're feeling those ramifications today. It really cannot be overstated how important uh, those actions were and the conquests of Alexander the Great. Well,
1: that's the end of this episode. We're glad that you had a ch- listened and we had a chance to explore a topic that doesn't get discussed, no. and that's this enormous legacy, not just the military stuff, in, the, in movies and stuff like that, but no. actually this cultural revolution that Alexander the Great did by establishing cities yeah. and in, you know locations that ended up having lives of their own and for many of them have survived for 2,300 years. Yeah. That is an enormous legacy, uh, un, un, unsurpassed
0: by just very few places, actually. Well, I mean, the 300 or so years after the death of Alexander the Great is known as the Hellenistic period in history purely because of the things that we've talked about, the the spread of the culture and influence and economics that we were talking about. So. You know, we
1: often reference Rome as being the next great power that comes along historically, but in many ways, although the Romans militarily defeated and conquered the Greeks, mm-hmm. the Greeks in many ways conquered the Romans culturally. That's true. Yeah, actually, that's. I think there's a solid argument to be made the, for that. The Romans adapted their architecture, they adapted their philosophies, they adapted... Uh, the writings—they—they they found profound influence and inspiration from the Greek uh, writers and so on. So, and since Rome is a direct link to us Europeans, who have a cultural background in the Europe area, uh, what a what an interesting legacy. Yep. Anyways, mm-hmm. that'll wrap up. This is an extra long episode. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening uh, to Ancient Answers. I'm Gordon, and I'm Shane.